0: Can you believe this is our last regular Wednesday night of 2020? It has gone way fast. Now, I I know we were kind of thrown off a little bit because we had, what, about three months where we actually, excuse me, actually didn't get to meet in person, but I am glad that we've had the time that we've had so far this year, the nine months that we've had. So next Wednesday night, we're not going to meet in here. We're still going to start at 630, but we're going to have our elf Christmas party down in the refuge. And here's what that means. Yes, it is an elf-themed party, and, and I'm not talking about just dressing up like an elf. I'm talking about elf the movie, buddy, the whole works right there. So here's what we're going to have. We are going to have dinner, okay? We're going to start with spaghetti. And then we're going to have the fam- four main food groups. Does anybody know what they are? Yes. Candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. We're going to have all of that. Now, it is... Hey, it is totally optional if you want to put that stuff on your spaghetti, but I would really love to see somebody do that next Wednesday night, okay? What's that? I know you're going to do it, Daniel. I can count on you. So we're going to be down there. Hey, we're going to have fun. we got a game or two, and then we'll do dinner, and then we're going to turn on the movie and just let it play. So we'll start at 630 We'll probably end around 8.30 or so. Some of you don't have to go out to school on Thursday morning, so hopefully your parents will let you stay a little bit longer. But let's plan on having a good time. But here's what you also need to do. If you're going to come to an elf party, that means you got to dress up a little bit. All right? You need to come in your best Christmas outfit. And I know some of you guys have some good ones from years past. When we've done ugly sweater contests and, and other things that we've done. So come dress to share and spread the most Christmas spirit that you can next week. And let's have a good time with that. So, tonight though, we're going to keep walking through the book of Colossians. Does anybody know what chapter we're in? Three. We're in chapter three. Hey, got to remember where we left off last week. Last week... We were looking at Colossians chapter three and we saw some things that, that Paul was talking about. The things that we're supposed to put on as believers, as disciples, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, when we, right before Thanksgiving, we saw where he called us to be killers, to kill the sin that is in our lives. So certain things that we've got to take and we've got to put to death so that they don't drag us down and drag us away from God. But if we're taking those things off and killing those things, we have to then put something else in its place. And that's what we saw last week, those things that we're supposed to put on, the characteristics of God so that other people see who He is in our life and see His love through us. So tonight, as we continue to finish up chapter 3, and that's what we're going to do tonight, we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 18, and step one verse into chapter 4. Because let me let you guys in on a little secret. When the original Scriptures were written there were not chapters and verses broken down the way we have them in our Bible now. So sometimes those ideas, those theological concepts, tend to span some of those verses and some of those chapters. So we're going to go from verse 18 in chapter 3 all the way to verse 1 in chapter 4. But before we read those, I'm going to ask you guys the questions I always ask because I want you to know what we're reading it and what the context of it was when it was written. So who wrote the book of Colossians? Who wrote the book of Colossians? I was going to say, more of you know it than are saying it. When do we believe it was written? Yes, that is correct, Daniel. A long time ago, but also between 60, 62, 64 A.D. Where do we believe Paul was when he wrote it? Jail, Daniel. You're quick on that one. Absolutely. And I tell you guys, every time I make up this percentage, 96% of the time, I think I've done 92, 98, 97, all of these different ones, Paul was in jail a lot. Paul had a lot of time when he was in jail. So he started writing letters to different churches. In fact, we believe this one was written around the same time he wrote the book of Ephesians. Do you remember why he wrote it? Two reasons. To warn and encourage. He's talking to a church. He's talking to believers. He was warning them against false teaching. And he wanted to encourage them in what a walk with Christ looked like. How they could honor God in their daily lives. And do you remember the main theme of this book? of Christ in all things. That he is above every other thing in our life. So when he wrote this, he's trying to help them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And he's doing that by warning them and by encouraging them. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what I ask you to do every week. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And I've got a, a guest reader tonight who is home from college for a little bit. Mr. Jordan Billups, coming up here and read this for us tonight. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse
1: 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye servants as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Oh, give me a second. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you are also having master in heaven your heads. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing out everybody to church. Lord God, Um, be with everybody as we take our finals and exams and keep us safe. Bless this message that we're about to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. Thank you, Jordan. You guys can be seated. Now, as you're listening to that passage, he's talking about wives and husbands and masters and bond servants. And, and that's, that seems kind of weird for us because we read words like that And and we think those things don't really apply to us, but there is at least one part in there that directly applies to you now. What Paul starts doing is he's been talking about how to live this life as a believer. So here in this passage, he starts giving specific directions to six groups of people. He talks about wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, and masters. And while almost all of these don't apply to you right now, at some point in time, they may have application in your life. You may be, guys, you may be a husband one day. You may be a father one day. Ladies, you may be a wife one day. You may hopefully will never be a master with bond servants, and we'll get into what that means there. But you may be a boss one day. You may be an employee one day. And you have the opportunity to reflect Christ in all of those relationships. So that's what Paul is doing here. He's bringing these things to light because these were common things then. And and, and it's kind of like this. When we hear something that we think, and, and i Tell me if I'm the only one that does this sometimes. You hear something that you think, well, that applies to somebody else. That doesn't really apply to me. And you kind of turn off your ears and turn off your brain, right? It's, it's like, you guys ever seen the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas? Anybody ever seen that? And what does the teacher sound like? That's what we do when we start to hear things that don't apply to us. We go, I'll get to that later. But what we need to do here is we pay attention. You guys, if you've got older brothers and sisters, I know I learned this really quickly. Sometimes you can watch your older brothers and sisters get in trouble with your parents, and you learn real fast, now I know what not to do. Or now I know what I should have done instead of what they did. And that's the same situation here. Even though this may not apply directly to you right now, this is good information that can help you down the road. It can help you learn what you should do or what you should not do at some point in life. So let's just walk through these verses here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 18, and this is this is always a fun, controversial one when you start reading verses like this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So straight up, Paul says, wives, you are told here, you are submit to the leadership of your husband. Now, I know ladies, almost every one of you in here right now, you are not a wife. Hopefully you will be someday, okay? And this is talking about, well, before we even get into that, some people, when you read a passage like this or a verse like this or or in Ephesians chapter 5 where you see Paul talking like this again, some people will start to argue that the Bible is oppressive to women because of verses like this where it says, Wives, submit to your husband. But the truth is, that's not the case at all. If you go through and you read Scripture and you see how this is played out, This is a book that has actually elevated the status and role of women way above what the first century culture would have seen them as. And even today, the Bible teaches that men and women were created in the image of God. Both of us are image bearers. The Bible also teaches that Jesus was born in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died, sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for the penalty for The sins of men and women. You see, in in this first century culture, that kind of talk, that kind of idea, that was unheard of. It's not just then, but even now. It's a book that elevates women, especially in the marriage relationship. Because here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, wives, obey your husband. It says, wives, submit to your husband. Submission is a choice. It's not blind obedience. It's ladies saying, I'm going to choose in order to honor God to submit to my husband. It doesn't say, woman, go make me a sandwich and you just got to go do it. That's not what that's talking about. And really, that's not even a funny joke to put around. Because that's not how scripture describes the marriage relationship. And Paul talks about it over, we're not going to read it, but in Ephesians chapter 5, he says something almost exactly the same. And then here's how he follows up that passage. He says that husbands in Ephesians chapter five, it says that they are supposed to have a self-sacrificial love for their wives that mimics the sacrifice of Christ. It's not "woman, well, go make me a sandwich." It's husband, love your wife the way that God loved you, so that she can submit to your leadership. You see, it's it's not just on the lady; it's on the guy. That's where a bulk of this responsibility lays right here. And this is huge because in the Jewish, Greek, and Roman cultures that day, they basically saw women as second-class citizens. So for Scripture, for Paul to write this and to tell this to a church, that's huge. Paul is saying, wives, submit to your husbands. This is fitting. It's appropriate in the, in the Lord. And when you do this, you have the opportunity to, put the spotlight on the gospel of Jesus. Because your submission to your husband is not just some out of some duty and obedience you have. It is out of the fact that you are submitting to Christ. And as you submit to Christ, you are able to submit to your husband. There may come a day, and I hope this is not the case, but some of you ladies in here, you, you may marry a man that isn't a believer. I want to say this right now. Please don't. Scripture tells us don't be unequally yoked. Be with a guy that is going to sacrifice himself the way that Christ laid down his life. That is going to seek to lead you and lead your family in the way that God has designed, in the way that God has set up. If you're starting down that road right now, I'm going to ask you, get off of that road. But he's saying that you're supposed to be able to submit to a husband and wives. When you do that, you are bringing the spotlight on the gospel because submission is a choice. Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross ladies You willingly choose to submit to your husband but then Paul turns it around and he lays it at the feet of the husband in the very next line he says in verse 19 husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them now as I said in Ephesians chapter 5 he gives a little bit more explanation about the husband and how they're supposed to give themselves up the way Christ gave himself up for the church here he just says love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's two commands given here. The first one, that's a common one that we see. It's husbands, love your wives. Now the difference here in this next command, he says, do not be harsh with them. Here's what this means, guys. That means as a husband, when that time comes for you one day, you need to be concerned with your wife's thoughts and her feelings. Okay? It's it's very easy for us as guys sometimes and and. And maybe this is just me, but I think it's a little more typical than that. But sometimes we are very logical in the way that we think. And emotions don't always play into that. Okay? And I'm not saying, women, you're just emotional. Please don't mishear me there. What I'm saying is sometimes it's easy for us as guys just to write people off because we think we're being the most logical person in the room. And that's not always the case. And I have learned that the hard way over and over and over in my own marriage. Just because I think that's the way things should be doesn't mean I have the best idea or best thoughts or best feelings on what's actually going on. So Paul says, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. In the time that this was written, and still in many cultures around the world today, a woman's feelings and a woman's thoughts are usually seen as irrelevant. So Paul is saying, hey, you you need to elevate that position in your family and in your marriage. You need to be willing to sacrifice. You need to be willing to lay yourself down to love your wife in such a way that she feels loved and appreciated and protected and taken care of. That's what Paul's talking about here. Guys, that's a huge responsibility. So I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're not willing to start thinking that way and head down that road, don't have a girlfriend right now, okay? Because the whole point of dating, or dating as we call it, the whole goal of being in a relationship is to move towards marriage. And if you're in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, high school right now, and you're just in a relationship because you just want to have somebody, that's using somebody. That's not the way scripture lines it out. And I know this sounds kind of harsh and kind of heavy, but I just I want to be real with you guys. That's what scripture says. And if we're supposed to be living as disciples of Jesus, living our lives according to scripture, then we've got to pay attention to every single part of it. You don't become the ideal husband that you want to be when you get married. You start becoming that man right now. Ladies, you don't become that woman that you want to be. I used to work at a church that had a Christian school, and every year they had a senior girl presentation. And every year, what? here's what they do, they had these huge staircases to an upstairs room in the church and they would have, the ladies would come out and they would walk down these stairs and they'd have these big fancy dresses on and they'd have these guy escorts and they would say each girl's name and what each girl hoped to do in the future and what her future plans were. And almost every single one, I'd say without fail, somewhere in there would be, I want to marry a good, godly man and raise a Christian family. If that truly is your goal, start becoming the woman that's going to attract that kind of man right now. With the people that you hang out with. With the things that you do. See, it's a double-edged sword. Both of us, guys, girls, we don't become that husband, become that wife one day when we get married. We become that person by the choices and the actions and the thoughts that we carry out right here, right now as teenagers. So yeah, you're not a husband and you're not a wife right now. I get that. But if you hope to be, get ready. Start preparing yourself now so that you can be the husband and the wife that God wants you to be for your spouse one day. Now verse 20 talks directly to every single one of you right now. It says this, Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now let me just ask, and I want a moment of honesty here. Has anybody in here ever struggled with obeying their parents in everything? Man, you guys' hands went up before I even asked the question. We all have at some point, haven't we? But, but look at what it says. It says, obey your parents in everything. This is one we can all relate to. Again, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this in verses 1 and 2. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a a promise. So when it says obey your parents in everything, what does in everything mean? (laughs) Keeps going. It literally means in everything. Because you guys have done this, okay? Your parents have come in and I think I've said this before. They come in and they tell you to do something and you really don't want to do it. And you make it very clear that you don't want to do it. Like they say, come in, I want you to go walk the dog. I don't want to walk the dog. Well, I said go walk the dog. Go walk the dog. So you go and you get the leash and you're like swinging it around like a helicopter as you're walking out the house trying to hit windows. You get out there. Come here, dog. And you hook up that dog. And the dog's walking slow go faster, I want to get out of here. Anybody ever do I don't want to know if you ever did that. But we do that. Or or clean up your room. And you start kicking stuff under the bed. You start throwing stuff in the closet, slamming the door, hoping it won't pop back open. Got a little deadbolt on there to keep it closed. We've all done that kind of thing. But it says right there, in everything, as, as children... We're supposed to give 100% of obedience to our parents because that's the authority that God has established in your life at this stage of your life. Now, that begins to change. That relationship changes as you get older and you move out and you get married and have your own family. And there's other passages that talk about that. But right now, where you are at this point in your life, you're supposed to obey your parents. In every area of your life, even when you don't feel like it because it says... It's pleasing to the Lord. What that does is that reminds us that when you are obedient to your parents, now you are being obedient to God. And and I'm just going to say this right here. We're not going to play the what if game tonight. Like, Well, what if my parents asked me to do this? What if my parents told me to rob a bank? What if my parents told me to hold a gun to somebody's head? We're not playing that game. Okay? Because 99% of you will never face any of those situations. You're just looking for loopholes. What we're talking about is Don't be concerned about that tiny percentage of when your parents might ask you to do something that's disobedient to God or will sin against God and dishonor Him because most of your parents aren't going to ask you to do that. Instead, focus on that 99% of the time when we're supposed to obey our parents in everything. With our thoughts, with our actions, with our kicking the dog attitude. In everything, it says, obey your parents. And then Colossians 3.21. Again, one that doesn't apply to you now, but it will one day, so you need to start thinking about it. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Guys, you may be a dad one day. And you need to understand that that as a dad, you're told to take care of the well-being of your children. This specific command right here, fathers should not stir up their children to anger. Now, let me ask you this. Should a father discipline his children? Yes. Does that sometimes make his children anger or angry? Yeah, it does. But when that discipline is done in love, it reflects the discipline of God. Because it's not done just to make somebody's life miserable. It's done because the goal is to train them up for godliness, to teach you and I how to be the men and women that God has made us to be. Now, I understand there's going to be times where your parents just irritate you to no end. My, uh, my wife will tell you that the, the men in our family have a, a history or a reputation for being a little hot-headed sometimes, flying um, off the handle, saying things we shouldn't say or punching walls or whatever it may be. And I remember one time I was in high school, and I forget, my dad had told me to do something, and as we talked about here, I did it with the best attitude possible, obviously. Um, and my dad got mad. Because I forget what he told me to do, but I, I did it. But man, I was just in a bad mood about it. And I was doing whatever it was. And like I said, I don't remember what it was. I just remember what happened after the fact. He came out and he started getting on to me. And when I say getting on to me, I mean like blowing his top at me, just yelling at me. And, and don't get me wrong, my, I, I love my dad, but my dad can lose his temper, just like I've been known to do. And I remember in that situation, I got so mad. He's standing there yelling at me, and I'm standing there looking at him, and both of my fists are just balled up as tight as they can be. And my jaw was clenched because I'm I'm taking it, but man, I'm mad. And I remember he stopped and he looked down at my hands and he looked back up at me and he says, How dare you hit me? I wanted with everything in me to lay him out right then and there. But my dad also has been trained in karate. And my dad's about four inches taller than I am. And he would have knocked me on my butt. So I didn't do it. Obey your parents and everything, okay? But in that moment, I was so angry. The scripture tells us right here, guys as dads, even though we can get hot-tempered, we've got to remember, that's not supposed to be directed to anybody. Not our wives, not our children. Now, are there going to be days that we make mistakes and mess up? Yeah. It's going to happen. It's happened in my family. But Scripture tells us right here, this is the standard that God lays out. As a Christian husband or a Christian father, God knows our weaknesses and He gives us these directions. He gives us these things as husbands, wives, servants, fathers, all of these different things. He gives us these commands that are specific to our individual temptation. Because He knows where we're going to mess up. He's trying to give us a heads up and say, hey, pay attention to this area because it's going to be a struggle for you. Same thing going back with wives submitting to your husbands. Ladies, there's going to be times where you don't want to submit to your husband. But yet, Scripture says we're supposed to. Guys, there's going to be times where you don't want to give yourself up for your wife the way Christ gave himself up for the church. And yet, that's the standard we're supposed to shoot for. That's what Paul is trying to help us understand. And then he says in verse 22, now this is going to be one that's hard for us to relate to. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. All of those other references, they make sense to us right now, but with this one, we've got to be a little bit more intentional to be able to take it and apply it to us here. In this context, Paul's talking to slaves or bondservants, which I'm assuming none of you are, okay? At least not the way they're talking about here. And in this passage, we need to understand that when we talk about slavery or bondservants in biblical times, this is not the slavery that typically pops into our head that we're used to from American history, okay? In in this time, this being a bondservant, This is typically somebody who entered into an agreement. Maybe they had a debt, maybe they had something they had to pay off, and they agreed with another person, I'm going to be your servant for a period of time until that debt is paid, and then when that debt is paid, I'm done. We're free. Now, I'm not saying that some kind of physical abuse didn't happen sometimes, like we typically associate with slavery in America, but... That's not typically how this was motivated. It wasn't a racial motivation. It was an economic motivation. So when he's talking to, to bond servants here, these are people more than likely who have stepped into that relationship willingly. And they have the option of paying off that debt and winning their freedom. And he tells those bond servants, obey your masters in everything. So here's what that means for us because we're not bond servants. However, at some point in time, you will have a job and you will have a boss. And that is a relationship that you enter into willingly. You choose to be there. So that means on the days when they start telling you to do things that you really don't want to do and you get a bad attitude about it, guess what? You've chosen to be there. And you have the opportunity to honor Christ in that relationship. When I was in college, my brother and I worked for a vet supply company. He actually got me this job, and there was a, a warehouse manager. And what that means is we worked in a warehouse. And, like, you know how you get those um, the, the pet boxes now where you get dog bones and medicines and all that? We worked for a company that literally supplied veterinary offices with that stuff. So we would pack those boxes all day. And at the end of the day, I remember one day it was like 4.30. We were supposed to be out of there at 4 o'clock. And the warehouse manager comes to my brother and says, hey, I need you to take out the garbage. He was mad. Remember I said we have a history of not really keeping our cool? He was mad. So here's what my brother does. He goes to take out the garbage. Only he takes the garbage can and he does this number across the warehouse. Throws garbage everywhere. The the garbage can goes flying. And the manager looks at him and says, you're fired. Right there on the spot. Now, He chose to his boss to not be obedient. He chose to have a bad attitude. And as a result, that ended his employment with that company. Now, I'm happy to say, I walked up to her and I said, so you just fired him? She said, yes. I said, so he's not coming back at all? She said, no. I said, then I quit too. And I turned around and walked out. That was one of the best feelings I've ever had. But that was not me doing the right thing either. Just because it felt good, that doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. And what Paul is talking about here, he's saying that that when you know the right thing to do when you've got a boss, you are supposed to work for them, you are supposed to serve them as though you are working for God. Don't be a people pleaser. Don't do it just because somebody's watching and you, those of you who have played sports, you've been on teams with people like this. when you're told to run sprints or you're told to run down and touch the line and run back and touch the line and you've got the guys who will run from here to that stand and do that and do that and never and as soon as the coach turns around and starts watching, they'll run all the way and touch the line every time. That's what that's talking about. Don't try to cut corners just because nobody's watching. Don't try to get away with things just because nobody's right there seeing you right in and there because Christ, God, sees you all the time. And we're supposed to work like we're working for Him all the time so that we honor Him in every situation. And then he goes on in verse 23 through 25, whatever you do, whatever you do, let me say that again, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Whatever you may do on a daily basis, whoever may have authority over you in your life, it tells us right there that everything you do needs to be done from your very with everything that is inside of you as though you are doing it for God because you are. Because you have the opportunity to honor God in every single thing that you do because at the end of the day as a disciple, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, whatever phrase you want to use, you are not working for the things of this world. You are working for God. You are working for a heavenly reward. And and he he kind of explains that a little bit here, that you're ultimately serving Christ because he says there's consequences. You're either earning the reward or you're receiving the punishment. God's not showing any partiality here. You get what you deserve when it comes to God. That's what he's trying to help us understand, and he's trying to help us understand that in terms that we can grasp. And then he says here finally in chapter 4, verse 1, last one. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I find this passage interesting because he's warned masters, he's warned husbands, he's warned fathers, and he's warned wives, and he's warned children, and he's warned bondservants. You've got those who are typically in authority and those who are typically not in authority, and he said, you all need to be aware of what's going on here. You all have a role to play in this when it comes to living out your faith. And he's saying, masters, you need to be fair and just. You will hopefully never be a master over anyone, but you may be a boss. And you need to be one that is just and fair. You need to be one that honors God in the way that you treat the people that work for you and work with you. And that's what Paul is trying to help us to see here. Everything that we do, everything that we do has to be done Because it is supposed to be done to please God. Scripture tells us we are commanded to serve others the way that Jesus served others. We're commanded to elevate others the way that Jesus elevated others. We are commanded to love others the way that Jesus loved others. So what? So what does that mean for you right here, right now, with a week and a half left of school in your current situation? Here's what that means you have the opportunity to glorify God by the way you relate to and love other people. By the way in your relationships you show who Christ is in your life. Even when those people are unfair, unjust, unreasonable, whatever unword you want to use in your current situation, you have the opportunity to show people who you follow. That means when everyone in your class is complaining about the last minute assignment you have before Christmas break and grumbling about the teacher, you have the opportunity to not join in, but to do it quietly. And do it because that's what you're supposed to do. That means when your parents tell you to do something that you don't want to do, or your step-parents who you may or may not get along with tell you to do something that you don't want to do, you do it anyway. And you do it with a good attitude. Because ultimately you're serving Christ. You're not serving them. That's what we're called to do. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Choose to love and serve those people so that Christ can be glorified. So that other people can look at you and wonder, why do you respond the way you do when everybody else is responding differently? Choose to serve and love others the way that Christ chose to serve and love others. And when we do that, he is glorified above all else. Remember, preeminence of Christ. Christ above everything. That includes our attitudes and our obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be here tonight. God, I thank You that as as we walk through passages like this that sometimes seem so foreign because they don't relate to our lives right here in this moment, God, we can still learn things about who You've called us to be and what You want us to do to show people who You are. God, help us to love others. Help us to serve others the way that Christ has done that for each one of us. The way He laid down His life on a cross to forgive us of our sins. God, I pray. I pray that if there's anybody in here tonight, they've they've never come to the point, God, where they know that Jesus died for them. God, help them right now to grasp that. I pray that you'll help them understand that the only way, only way we can be forgiven is through the blood of Jesus and his resurrection. And if you're here tonight, And you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You struggle with being obedient to your parents or your boss or your coach or or all of those things. But more importantly, you don't know what it means to be obedient to God because you've never put your faith and trust in Him. I would love to talk to you about that. And as we end tonight, I'm going to be standing up here during the last song and at the end, come talk to me. Or talk to one of the other adults in the room. We would love to show you what scripture says about putting your faith and trust in Jesus and how you can know that love and grace and mercy and compassion that he gives us. God, I pray for each person in this room. Help us to honor you through the way that we interact with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.